You know, the Lord tells us in his word that he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I find it a real privilege to be a dad. It's been humbling, but it's been rewarding. It's probably one of the greatest, most challenging, most painful tasks that the Lord has given me. But I am so thankful that this role of a dad is his design. Something that he conceived, something that he's put into place. And so I know this morning, as we come to Father's Day, many of us are going to be coming from all sorts of various experiences and broken relationships or positive relationships. Father's Day can trigger a whole bunch of things. But I, this morning, I want to encourage the dads. I want to encourage the dads because today's society, you know, we're fighting an uphill battle. And we, as a church, are part of a family. And so this morning, you might be a woman. You might be single. You might just be married. You might not have kids yet. But as a family, this morning... I think it's appropriate, because it is Father's Day, to encourage the dads in our church. And so this morning, I would ask you to think and hear how the Lord could be provoking and prompting you to pray for the dads in our church. They've been entrusted with something quite significant. It's difficult, painful, but also rewarding. So, I want to tell you about a family that were holidaying at a resort. And while they were holidaying at the resort, the husband and the wife, they went into the cafe place and they were coughing there and their kids were able to run outside and, and to go play. Now, one of the areas that were on the grounds had a sign. There was an embankment and it had just been freshly seeded. And there was a sign that said, keep off the bank. Well, they're enjoying their coffee, mom and dad, thinking their kids are safe. But then they hear this ruckus of staff from the resort running around, yelling through the window, stay off the bank, stay off the bank. The parents are looking around to see what the commotion is. And they go over to the window and they actually see that it's their two boys that are playing on the bank. So the father quickly runs out after the staff, and the staff actually get to the little boys before the parent does. And just as the resort staff get to the little kid, the kid falls down the hill into the staff, the resort staff's arms. And he takes the little boy, and he says, didn't we say stay off the bank? Can't you see the sign? It says stay off the bank. It's so that you don't get hurt. And the dad intercepts and says, look, it's my boy. I'll take him. So the boy takes both of the boys, takes them into the bathroom, and he gives them a smack. The boys are crying. And the dad said, sons, the sign said stay off the bank. The people were telling you to stay off the bank, and yet you continued, and then you fell. After a few minutes, with tear-stained eyes, the boys and the dad leave the bathroom. And he's got his boys in his hands. And his daddy looks at him and says, daddy... What's a bank? 
I wonder for us, men, when you hear the word man, do you know what it means? What about a husband? Be a good husband. Be a good dad. Be a good man. You find that you're not doing things right. People are complaining and whinging about how you're doing things. Thinking, what is it? What is a man supposed to do? What is a man supposed to be? What is a father supposed to do? What is a husband supposed to do? Thankfully, if you are a part of Sovereign Grace Church family, uh, we're working through a book called Point Men at the moment. And no doubt your role and your responsibility is becoming a little bit uh, um, informed. Steve Farrar paints a serious picture of us heading off to war. Young men, 18, heading off to war. And then you get there, you're trained, and the patrol leader says to you, Hey, today is your day. You are the point man. Point man? Wait, wait, what's a point man? That means you're the leader. Everyone is going to fall in line behind you. They're going to be looking to you to lead. And what you're going to be leading them into is how to avoid the enemy. But if you encounter the enemy, what are you going to do? As you feel the weight of your responsibility, you quickly glance over your shoulder to see the eyes that are looking to you. They are depending on you, and you know that they're depending on you. Do you know what they're depending on, though? They're depending on your leadership. They're depending on your understanding of the charge. It's pretty sobering stuff. I wonder if you're a father here this morning, and you feel the weight of the responsibility that is on you. I bet you do. I bet there are times that you feel that suffocating humidity that hangs in the air like the steamy hot air in the jungles and the rainforests of Vietnam. I bet there are times that the adrenaline, your adrenaline is surging through your body and the blood is rushing through your veins so fast that you think your heart is going to jump out of your chest. But have you ever taken the time to consider why? Why do I feel this way? What is going on inside of me? Are you recognizing that you are in a battle? Men, your charge as a father has been given to you not by a patrol officer. Your role has not, your charge has not been entrusted to you by the prime minister, by your boss. Your charge and your role and your responsibility has been lovingly entrusted to you by your creator. He's the one who's called you to serve in the role that you have. And this role is something that you are entrusted with, therefore you're blessed with it, and frankly, you're placed in this role so that you can grow and you can develop. There is no perfect father other than our heavenly father. Are you a dad here feeling defeated this morning? Did the criticisms of your wife and your children eat away at your soul? Are you thinking, 
I'm tired of trying. If, you're, if that's you this morning, I want to thank you for coming. I want to thank you for coming, and I want to tell you that I believe that the Lord wants to recalibrate your mind and your heart this morning. I think he wants to address us as men and encourage us and remind us of the charge that we've been given. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pray, and then we're going to look at some passages, some verses, and we'll get stuck into this charge. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the privilege we have as a church family to sit under your holy word. Lord, thank you for putting us into a church and into a family that is committed to living the gospel. And because of this saving gospel, it then affects every aspect of our life, and particularly in the way of our families. And so, Lord, as we look at that this morning, would you minister to every individual that's here this morning, to the children, to the girls and the boys, to the singles, the ones who are looking to you to be married and yet they remain unmarried. Lord, to those that are newly married and they're discussing children, would you be with them? Would you be with the wives and the moms as they listen and as you speak to them? And Lord God, please be with the dads this morning. Would they be ministered to? Would they know your care and your instruction? Would they know your calling? And would they see that your yoke is easy and your burden is light? In Jesus' wonderful name I pray. Amen. Because if you're taking notes this morning, I want, I've called this message a father's charge. And really, because we're men and we're simple, um, I'm a man and I'm simple and I can't take in a lot, but three things of this charge, all right? A charge to love, a charge to care, and a charge to inspire. A charge to love, a charge to care, and a charge to inspire. Would you turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3? Colossians chapter 3. There's a section here, Paul's been writing to the Colossians. There's a, there's a section here about rules for Christian household. And the first verse, and 18, is about wives submitting to their husbands. But we're going to pick up in verse 19, and we're going to read 19, 20, and 21. Verse 19 says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And in verse 21, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Do you know the significance of these verses here in Colossians? Do you understand what's kind of going on? What Paul's doing? I think in order for us to understand, church, we have to go all the way back to the very beginning. We have to go all the way back to where everything started. And that means we go back to Genesis, when God created the heavens and the earth. God is the creator. He spoke into being the heavens, the dry land, and the animals, and the plants, and the trees. He is the creator. This is his design. 
This is what he started. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he took five days to create everything, like all the, you know, the plants and the stars and the sun and the moon, the, the morning or the daylight and the nightlight and the trees and the vegetation. And then on the sixth day, he formed man. He formed man out of clay. And here's what's interesting. He formed the man with clay and he breathes life into this clay and it's a man. And Genesis 2, 15, you begin to see that God then places this man into the garden. And we get this understanding that this man is in the garden and he has responsibilities and he has roles and he's naming the animals. And what's incredible about this account in Genesis is that the man is going around naming the animals, but he's recognizing, ah, there's not a partner for me. There's a male and a female of each animal, but none of those are fitting for me. There's not a helper fit for me in this. God already knew that. And then God causes a sleep to fall onto Adam. Adam falls asleep, and and a helper is formed and made and presented to him. Here's what's incredible, church, is that God created man and woman, not like any tree, not like any um, vegetation. God made man and woman in his own image. We are made in the image of God. That truth alone right there is really important for us as husbands and as fathers and as men to understand because it has implications for us. That means, friends, that your wife and your children need to know that they are made in the image of God. Our our wife and our kids are more like God than anything else in all of creation. They are precious. They are valuable. With that thought in mind, I want to ask you fathers, how are you loving your child's mother? Do you find it difficult? Do you find that you aren't doing such a great job? Do you find that you can be selfish and be lazy? Well, be aware You're not alone, unfortunately. You see, after Genesis 2, where everything is perfect and Adam and Eve are in the garden, we get to Genesis 3, and it's there that we learn that the woman is walking around and she's approached in the garden with a question from the beast of the field. And the question that is posed to her is loaded with intention. Did God actually say... And that question engages Eve into thinking that perhaps God is holding out on Adam and Eve. He hasn't given them all the information. He's actually trying to trick them. He's withholding what's really, really good. Well, you know the end of the story. They take the fruit, their eyes are opened And get this, after their eyes are open, after they taste the fruit, 
something they experience that they've never experienced before. They feel something for the very first time that was never intended for them to feel. They feel guilt. They feel funny inside. They might feel sick in the stomach. Whatever it was, for the very first time, Adam and Eve are feeling something that they were never intended to feel. So they go and they try and their eyes are opened and they can see that they're naked. So they go and try to sew some figs together. And then they go and hide. In the cool of the evening, God is walking in the garden and they're hiding from God. God calls out, Adam, where are you? Oh, we're over here. What have you done? Did you eat the woman you gave me? From the very beginning, we blame And then, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the Lord addresses the serpent. In Genesis 3, 16, he addresses the woman. And in Genesis 3, 17, he addresses the man. But it's in verse 16 that I want to point your attention to. You see, because in Genesis 3, 16, God is punishing the woman. And he says to her, you're going to have pain in childbearing, You're going to have a desire, not sexually, you're going to have a desire and a a struggle to lead your family. You're going to wrestle with your husband to lead the family. And he is going to rule over you. And the way that he's going to rule over you is in a domineering way. That is Genesis 3.16. Remember how I asked you if you understood the significance of Colossians 3? You see, pre-Colossians, and as a result of sin, Eve's sinful desire is to oppose Adam's leadership in marriage. And Adam's sinfulness is to abandon his God-given pre-fall role of leading and guarding and caring for his wife. And he's going to replace it with his own sinful, selfish, distorted desires to rule over Eve. Can you see what we have here in Genesis? We have a tragic result. We have the consequences of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God. And now there is this ongoing conflict between a husband and a wife in the marriage. And what is driving it? It's being driven by our own selfish desires. The husband's going to be selfish. The wife is going to want to do her way. And it's against their God-given roles and responsibilities in marriage. So back over in Colossians 3, 19, Paul is saying something quite different. He's saying, husbands, love your wife. Wait a minute. Wait, what? God has revealed that the woman's desire was going to to, to rule. But God maintains that the man is going to rule. And now Paul turns to the duty of the husband. And he says, notice he's not instructing the husband to submit. So there's no change in the role that God gave them. Instead, he instructs the man to give himself up for the wife. I want you to notice something to brothers and sisters. When we come to the New Testament and when we see that finished work of Jesus Christ, that 
babe that was born of a virgin who lived a sinless life in word, thought, and deed, and he had a mom and a dad and brothers and sisters, and he remained sinless in word, thought, and deed. He was falsely accused. He was crucified, died. He rose again, defeating the power of sin and death, and then 40 days later, he ascends into heaven and is placed at the right hand of the Father. When we see what that finished, completed work of Jesus is and how it changes and transforms lives, something is taking place. The creation order is being restored. Pre-Genesis 1 and 2, it's being restored. God is calling us to restoration in our relationships. He saves us and rescues us. Dave said earlier this morning, five years, we've seen marriages restored. God restores things. Things that have gone wrong are being made right by the redemptive work of Christ. What that means, my friends, is that a woman who has been transformed by the power of the gospel, she will no longer be hostile. She'll no longer be aggressive or have that desire to be aggressive towards her husband. And a husband is no longer going to seek to respond in a harsh and an intimidating way. Why? Because this was the way it was before sin entered into the world. And Paul is calling husbands in Colossae and in Ephesus and in Sydney to live in a way that is loving. You know, Paul spends a bit of time in Ephesians chapter 5. If you get a chance this week, look at the three different ways that God calls men to love their wives. Now, you may be sitting here this morning thinking, I can see that I'm called to love my wife, but what does that have to do with my kids and me being a dad? It's really a great question. Because by loving your kid's mom, you're setting an incredible example for them in one of two ways. You may have never thought about this before, but would you be the sort of husband and father that you'd want your daughter to marry? Would you be the sort of husband that you would want your son to mimic? If you're not sure, can I encourage you to walk in humility and to go to them and to ask them, as they're older, Ask them what they see and how they see you loving their mom. (laughs) You'll be surprised what they don't miss. Your first charge, Father, fathers, is to love your kids' moms. How? Well, we see in Scripture that Christ laid down his life for the church. Philippians 2 says, He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. That's love, men. Your second charge is to care. In verse 19, it says, Colossians, it says, husbands love your wife and do not be harsh with them. You know, it's been recorded that there was a tendency in the Roman world for men to rage bitterly against their wives and to mistreat them. They would use uh, their strength their louder voices to intimidate, to shout, to threaten, and even to beat their women into submission. 
On Thursday morning, I was scrolling through my Facebook feed, as you do, and um, I have a, I'm a friend of the New South Wales alert, uh, media alerts, and this line, uh, this feed is constantly updated with, you know, traffic, weather, yeah, it's constantly updated with different stories. Occasionally, there's a story of triumph or heroism, but frankly, it disturbs me the amount of times that they put through stories of men who are hurting women. And yet on Thursday and then again on Saturday, accounts of men treating their wives terribly. Terribly mistreating women. Fortunately, this guy was caught in charge. I think it was on the feed because he was on the loose, but they finally caught him. But I want you to think for a moment about your role as a father and as a husband. Our charge, if you will. Jesus, who was never married, laid down his life for the church. Husbands are called to lay down their lives for their wives. But we're also called to rehearse the truths of God's creation story. God created man and woman. And he created us differently. If you think about it, I mean, look at each other. We're created differently. Men are made with thick skin and a bit ugly. Women, they've got soft skin and and they're beautiful. There's differences. Men think differently. You've seen the jokes that are made. What are you thinking about? I'm chasing, you know, butterflies in my head or bees in my head. Men just, they're not, they don't think the way that women think. Women are strategic and, and their minds are constantly going. I always say to my wife when she has more than one friend over and the, they're talking, they're all talking at the same time and they're laughing at that conversation and laughing over at that conversation. I'm like, how, how did you hear what she said? And, uh, you know, they, they do it somehow. Women are just different. Men and women have been created by God in His fashion. And in his design, men, God's design is that he would place us with a woman as an equal. Equal in value, equal in importance. But we have different roles. You see, I cannot see everything that my wife sees. I don't, I don't hear everything my wife hears. I'm not informed on everything. And so God gives me a partner, a wife, who can help me. She's a, a helpmate. Now, God has given me the responsibility to lead our family. God has given me the role and the responsibility to make decisions for my family. And I'm called to lead. But here's something that I must remember. I have a partner, a wife, who is different and sees things differently. And I must treat her in a very loving and caring way. I am not to be harsh with my bride. Now, if I believe by being led by the Holy Spirit that I need to make a decision for our family that may cause sacrifice, it may cause us to not have or do what we want to do, then I need to explain to my wife, "Hun, this is how the Lord's leading me. Do you have any concerns? What are your thoughts? There have been times in our life where I've gone to Megan and said, "Hun, I believe that we should do this. 
And she, my wife, will go get a piece of paper and she'll write, draw a line down the piece of paper and she'll write down pros and cons and she'll work it out that way. And she'll come back to me and she'll say, we don't have this, we need this, we need this. And I can look at her and say, babe, thank you for doing that. But this, I believe, this, I believe, is what we're supposed to do. What are your concerns? What can I help you answer? Sometimes we've had to just go and do it. And we've had to trust the Lord, but I've had to assure my wife that I've heard her and that I've listened to her and that I'm showing her that I care for her. I can't be harsh with her and just say, tough, babe, suck it up. We're going to do this. Now, I know this will surprise some of you, but there are times when my wife and I will get together and she will see something differently. And I'm convinced that this is what the way that it's supposed to be. And I'll talk over the top of her. I'll dismiss her thinking. I'll make her feel stupid and belittle her. I'll even walk out. That is what I've done. That is treating your wife harshly. That is not showing care. In God's design and in God's order, we have a wife that we are to care for. How are we caring for our wives? And I would encourage you to take some unhurried time to take up a charge and to consider what it is to care for your wife and not to be harsh with her. You know, Proverbs 15.1 says that a soft answer turns away wrath. Being harsh, it stirs up anger. Now, one of the things that I would encourage you men to do, a way that you can be loving and caring is to show your wife that when you are making decisions for your family, that you are not leading them in a selfish way to feed your own desires. My family are very quick to observe when I'm making decisions that are based around me and my wants and my desires. It's not what us men are called to do. They are much quicker to follow when they see me as a father humbly walking before the Lord pursuing other men and inviting other men to help me in decisions that will affect my family and our future. So we've looked at the charge of loving and the charge of caring and now the charge to inspire. In verse 20, it says that children are to obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Now Paul speaks to children obeying their parents, what he's really doing is he's referring back to the Old Testament and bringing to light that fifth commandment that children are called to honor their father and mother. And in this whole section of Colossians from chapter 3, verse 5 through to chapter 4, verse 6, Paul's doing something unusual and unique here. He's addressing the women and he's addressing the children and he's addressing the slaves as equal members of the family. That's quite unusual here. But Paul is providing instructions on rules for Christian living. Now, the letter to the Colossians, it's similar to the letter to the Ephesians, but it is different. You see, the theme in Colossians is um, about Jesus as the head. Jesus is the head. Whereas in Ephesians, the letter is focused on the body, the church. But because Jesus is Lord over all creation, Paul encourages the believers to grow in maturity in Christ 
by continuing to battle against sin, by continuing to pursue holiness, and living differently as Christian households. That's what Paul is encouraging the Colossians to do. Your household should look different. How is it going to look different? So dads, with that in mind, it's saying that you don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Paul speaks of not provoking your kids lest they grow discouraged. That's a massive responsibility if you think about that. Do you understand that, dad? You who have been called to protect and provide for your family, you have the ability to discourage your child's heart. Some of us have experienced that from our own fathers. We have experienced our hearts being discouraged by our fathers. Let's be clear. The original hearers would have understood what Paul's saying to be this. Dads, restrain your anger and any other attitudes that can embitter your child. I was only asking my kids the other day around the dinner table what I have done that has provoked them in a way that discourages their hearts. They gave me some very insightful and hard feedback. They told me that I can, be, uh, I can provoke them and discourage their hearts by the way that I'm dismissive of things that are important to them. I can be dismissive of things that have hurt them or bothered them and just, they're there. Oh, really? I can provoke their hearts by being impatient with one of their siblings. I can, be, I can provoke them and discourage their hearts by the way that I jump to conclusions If I walk into a situation, I jump to conclusions and I don't ask questions. By the way that I don't let them speak or clarify what's going on, I raise my voice, I tell them to be quiet. That provokes them. Another way that I can provoke them, embitter them, is by the way I look at my phone or my iPad instead of listening to them while they're talking to me. That would provoke my heart. Deuteronomy chapter 4 is a great passage of Scripture that reminds us as dads that we have a role. We are not to provoke our children. Rather, instead, we have an opportunity to inspire our children. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses has got the children of Israel and they're ready to get ready to go into the promised land. And there we read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Dads, basically we have a responsibility. Moms, this is included of you too. But dads, we're talking to you this morning. We have a responsibility to train our kids We have a responsibility to inspire our kids with the very words of God. 
Instead, though, we can choose to provoke them because they're encroaching on my time where I want to be on my iPad or my iPhone or where I want to not be bothered. I want to watch what's on TV. And yet something's going on in another room that I know I need to take leadership in. And yet I abdicated or I can be dismissive of it. We have a responsibility to train our kids, to inspire our kids with these very words. This week I was provoked in a meeting where we were sitting in a meeting and we were talking about how this right here is what governs us. This right here is what informs us. Not the latest fad, not the latest research. This book right here is what governs and informs us. Men, is this what your wife and your children see informing you of? Is this what they see you submitting to and walking humbly before? we have an opportunity to inspire our kids with the very words of God. Son, why are you speaking to your mother like that? You don't speak to my wife like that. That is not appropriate. That is not honoring your mother. God's word says you are to honor your mother and you are to honor me. You have to say the hard thing. But this is why. This is what is motivating you. Son, no, it's not appropriate to lie and to steal and to cheat. Because God's word tells us that it's, we don't lie. We don't steal. We don't cheat. This is what is informing me, son. Not because that's what's cool. This is what is informing us. Dad's please consider, are you provoking your children or are you inspiring them? Because we can provoke our children in many ways. We can ignore them. We can be overly intentional, which is something that I've done. We can be dismissive and disinterested. We can be inconsistent. We can be angry and harsh. We can be impatient. But as you see that, does that not alone help you see your need for God's grace and help. What a role we have been entrusted with. What an opportunity we have. There, these are the times when the blood rushes through my veins and when my breath can feel suffocating because I know I've got eyes watching me. I am the point man. You are the leaders of your home. And yes, we can make mistakes. But God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And there are many times where I've had to walk into my kid's bedroom and I have had to apologize to them and say, Dad was wrong. I should never have spoken to you that way. We, men, are called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our might. And I tell you, if you are captivated and if you are dazzled by God and his holy word, then you will be able to train your kids and you will be able to inspire them with your amazing and loving creator because what affects you will roll out. Men, we can hear something like this and our hearts can say yes and our hearts can say amen to all of what we've just heard. 
We may even feel an agreement, though it's mixed with guilt and it's mixed with a sense of failure. But I want to tell you something. That right there is your enemy making an assault on you. He's throwing fiery darts at you. You can't do this stuff. (laughs) You're a failure. You are so weak. I doubt you're even a Christian. It's too late for the kids. They're too too old. You can't fix this. Those thoughts might invade your mind. And that is exactly the plan of the enemy. He wants to overwhelm you with fear and failure and guilt. And he wants to fill your minds with doubt. But brothers, I encourage you to lift up the shield of faith against those flaming, fiery arrows Wield the sword of the Spirit. John 15, 5 says this. I am the vine. Jesus is saying, I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Philippians 4.13 men says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You have been entrusted with the role to lead your family. But I want to tell you this, brothers, with all your efforts, to shape and influence your children, to be filled with happiness and and spiritual substance. It's not those efforts that will influence or save your son and daughter. It will influence them, but it won't save your son or your daughter. God's work is to save. That's God's work, to save your sons and your daughters. But he will give you a great opportunity and your children a great opportunity to see why he's worthy of following. He's calling you to a charge to love and to care and to inspire. He'll do the saving. So trust him that he will save your children, but keep pointing your children to the Savior. Can I pray for you, dads? Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you have a plan and a design. And from the beginning, you spoke the world into being. You provided a place for us to live. You've provided us with breath in our lungs. This is your order. Family is your plan. And you have set apart men and women to two different things. And Lord, I pray that you would enable us as men in this charge to love and to care and to inspire. Father, would we bring you glory and honor? Lord, we thank you that when we see our failings, we see how you have never failed us. And we can run to you and you will teach us. Lord, help us to be men who sit under your word and look to you for direction. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray. Amen.